Theology. Theology. Unplugged. Kant. Uh, Manuel Kant. When we're talking about philosophy, of course, I mean, I, what I've heard it said that uh, Kant is the most important figure since St. Augustine in philosophy. What do you think of that? Well, that's a judgment call. I mean, he's certainly, uh, you said important, so that it doesn't imply positive or negative because yeah. a lot of mixed emotions. Yeah. There's no doubt the guy was uh, pretty brilliant. I mean, he 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 makes a ma massive... Uh, I try to read him, and I cannot. I mean, he's not impossible. readable at all. He's he's not readable. He's he's hard to read. So you don't assign him to your students. No, nobody would read that. They would run. People off. used to assign him. Now you got to assign like second. Uh, you know, uh, you can't. That's a primary source. Nobody's going to go like a paragraph so into like, anymore. Yeah. Commentaries, like a yeah, commentary. But it's commentaries. <laughs> yeah, he's nice. even like even philosophers don't enjoy reading Kant. He's just he didn't write to be enjoyed. Yeah, he sat at that desk every day of his life practically. And just hammered away, but he was into the study of knowledge, and he was into moral philosophy. So he made his mark in both of them. We're we're more interested in the first one right now. So as we were saying last time, talking about those guys that are empiricists. That yeah, are who we have? We had uh, Descartes. You had rationalist. you had the rationalists uh, started the deal and started mm -hmm. this, set the bar. Descartes, so Leibniz, that, Spinoza, and those cats it, over would, there. Would you, would, you would you say that the, the kind of implication was it's not worthy to be believed unless we can have indubitable certainty about this? No, no, not that. I wouldn't put it that way. But but, but you, it does start to become the implication, right? Well, Indubitability? Yeah, if that's your goal is certainty, then all of a sudden you've got everybody running for certainty, and then you've got you know Locke who comes in with the empiricist, and then you've got... Um, I can't even remember his name. Hume. Yeah, Hume. Hume. Hume, who comes in and kind of tries to throw the throw the bowling it's ball not and as knocks if, down a bunch of their pins. It's not as if either. It's not as if either side doesn't recognize what the other is saying. In other words, it's not as if uh, the rationalists are saying, "Oh, there's no such thing as empirical knowledge." Oh. The knowledge we gain through yeah, yeah. through through studying yeah. the physical world that's not important they wouldn't say that they just think that the most important kind of knowledge and where you start and what they what they like to write the most about is deductive it's syllogisms it's how truth relates to each other it's how this this infers this and this is concluded from that and it's not like the guys on the other side of the of that um of the waters who 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 are empiricists it's not as if they're not they're using reason yeah, all the time, yeah. and they know it's important. It's just that it. they think that um, they think that the kind of knowledge that probably should matter more is the empirical kind. That we should start with that. So that that's more it, certain from from uh, the rationalist and the empiricist. The rationalist may like the cosmological argument for the existence of God. So you yes. build from scratch, you know, and you back up to what's the the ontological cause. would be their all time favorite, <laughs> the rationalists, <laughs> their all time favorite. And then what would be one for the the uh, empiricists were like the design argument. I mean, it involves it involves inference, but but it's inference from a whole lot of empirical data. We studied the cell. We studied the eye. We studied. The physics of the you know the universe. We so it's, one, that one you build it's your case. It's empirically rooted. So the empiric an empirically an empirically minded person likes design more than they like the ontological, which is pure rationalism. You see how these play yeah, in these yeah. different arguments. Yeah. Um, and so then then you have uh, the skepticism, and then then you have Kant. And is he coming at what's he doing? Is he 
is he coming in trying to make something in between or trying to like a synthesis? He does want it, yeah, which is one of his. Well, yes, he wants he wants a synthesis in a way. What was his passion? Um, well, I mean, like the others, he wants to know: can we know things certainly, and what would those be? And he wants to, and he wants to be sure we're not violating any of the rules. I mean, they're real sticklers about. I dare not make a claim. This is how they're very different from us today. I mean, like we don't modern people just make all kinds of claims. These thinkers got into this mode where they. It was like they were like the epistemological police. Yeah. So this is a guy you wouldn't want to meet at a party, and he would have no friends. But he's the guy that every time people would say things, he would he would sort of like blow the whistle like a referee and yeah. be like, "No, you can't know that for sure. Well, you can't really be sure about that. Yeah. Now that now that's not hundred percent. You're overstating your case right now." Yeah. So Kant wants to do that too. So what he does is he thinks. I always use this analogy because I didn't invent it, but I always like it, and I think it helps understand how we... So here's the analogy. So if you imagine the rationalist view, the rationalist way of doing, sorting out your knowledge, like Descartes, if you imagine your mind is filled with things, things you know, things you've experienced, all kinds of claims made, things you've heard, things you learned, all kinds of crap in your head, and you want to put it in logical order so that you feel like it all has good grounding and you sort of want to build a structure of logical connection between them. In that sense, it's like your pantry and you open it up and everything's just piled in there, piled in there. No rhyme reason, just everything is stacked and you want to sort it into, put it all nicely. Then the empiricist is like a guy who comes along and says, "Uh, not so fast, brother. How did you get all that stuff in your pantry? You got cereal boxes, you got cans of soup, you got all this stuff, you got pasta. You weren't born born with all that. You got all that stuff in there one at a time through your experience of the world. And so that's more important. Here's what Kant says. Kant says, your mind, you were born without contents, without cereal, without soup. But you're, you were born... Born with a pantry. With a pantry with <laughs> yeah. shelf space, preordained, if you will, made for it. Your mind's shelf space is a match. I, mean, I was calling a believer? For the stuff that... Oh, he he claimed to be. Yeah. Yeah, he claimed to be. I mean, a lot of people will doubt him because of, you know, guys like this, they speculate things. He didn't write theology, but he was raised by pious German parents very pious very pious lutherans Mm -hmm. and he lived a he lived like a monk frankly he never married he probably never touched alcohol you know um but and and there are places in his moral writing where he affirms the teachings of jesus are um you know you know that kind of stuff and he does think that god is a sort of a kind of a basic belief people have um do you see the difference though he's kind of splitting the difference in a way so he's saying you know like you know, if you opened up, if you brought home certain different kinds of soup cans, like here's the family size, here's the small one, here's the Costco size, and and you went into a pantry you'd never been in before, you might be happy to see that there's a perfect spot that fits all these things. Like these yeah. obviously go here. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Your mind is like, which so that you have this, the beforehand thing is what he called in. Ready for more Latin? Ah. Priori, as in prior, your mind. So this means that there's certain concepts that seem innate to us. And he puts God as one of those and basic moral intuitions and so on, where, yeah, how did I know that so well? 
Why does everyone seem to know that? Because everyone's mind is prefabricated, if you will, to know these things so that when the first time I go into the world and I meet new data, it fits right in the home. And in fact, linguists, modern linguists, actually think Kant was before his time on some of this because modern linguists believe that yes, the human brain is ready and it's, it's like ready for language, which is why a, a child, an infant can learn like eight languages simultaneously pretty well, yeah, just as easy as they learn one. But then when you get older, it's like the difference is the shelf space closes off and you yeah. can't get it in there anymore. But you see what I mean? So hopefully that might make sense. Now, here's what Christian thinkers say. They say, look, I get where Khan's coming from, and I don't think he's necessarily some reprobate guy. But unbeknownst to Kant and some of these other guys too, Hume, unbeknownst maybe to them, they, this is the accusation, were setting the stage, were setting the table for beliefs that would come later that are bad beliefs. That's what we're talking about right now, right? I mean, the the skepticism yeah. leads to, you know, the, the postmodern worldview of relativism because you have nowhere well, else to go. And then, too, with Kant, I think, don't you think the noumenal phenomenal distinction right. is really right. important right. for this? What would you, what would, how would you tie that in before we even move on? To well, let me, let me say, now. and then I, you, you tell me whether I'm correct. What I've, what I've traditionally seen with Kant and the way that I've tried to think about it is that, that he comes in and he sees that there's a threat. There's a threat primarily to the issues of morality, and people are kind of moving the moral framework out of this and saying you can't really know these things, you can't build it, You the, the shelf space that you're talking about, maybe it's there, but how, how can we know? And so Kant comes in and he presents this uh, noumenal and the phenomenological and the, what is it? Oh, just both of those. And the phenomenological are the things that you see, uh, at least in a, in a justification standpoint, the things that you can justify through this world, the things that you can build a case for, the things that you can know because you go through either rationalism or through empiricism. That is, that, that's just, you know, how to, how to build a house and, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, what, what, uh, what's good raising of kids, that kind of thing. But he also says there's this other deal called the noumenal, and that noumenal realm is stuff that you you can't build a case for, at least in the same way. And so you shouldn't even try to build a case for it. And within that, he places both God and morality. And once those go in there, that presents the stage for the postmodern worldview. Right, right. That's a good point. Go, no, no, go ahead. Well, I, th I th okay, so... This is part of, I think, also, there were, there were Christian thinkers in his time who didn't like that part of it. Because, like we said with Berkeley, how he says, look, in the end, I, I believe in God, and that makes a big difference. It makes all the difference. It's, all, yeah. it's a major foundational belief. Kant, though he probably did, is reluctant to, to make God part of a premise that leads to anything. He just thinks it's, but, and it's, he doesn't like the arguments for God. Because in his sort of paradigm, he couldn't demonstrate it yeah through his his own construct right yeah he, he wouldn't so he wouldn't appeal to that as foundational for yeah. epistemology well, wouldn't that lead to what we're at now i mean think of it think of it the last 200 years the last 150 years where you have religion suddenly placed in this this realm within america especially um but but, but elsewhere as well but you have this idea where you've got uh things that you can know and things that you have faith and, and I feel yeah. as if, here we go, I feel, I feel as if this is Kantian. 
There's things that you can know in this world, and then uh, you, you you have to have faith in other things. That's just faith, you know. Right. Whenever it comes to God, it, it it's faith. It's not you know. Quit trying to use your reason. Quit trying to build a case for it. It's just faith, and that's where we get this concept of blind faith and the whole new definition of faith. It seems to be coming right after this, to where you ask right. the average person out on the street, "What does faith mean?" and it'll be something akin to that which you believe, even you know the there's Mark no Twain. evidence. So Mark we'll, Twain, we'll, even though you that what you believe, even though you know it ain't true. Yeah, believe in what you know ain't true. What you know ain't so. Yeah. Well. We should mention then who, what were the immediate responses to all this activity with these guys? Because people didn't just sit around and not respond to it. There were there were movements that responded. So, so Christian theologians responded some. And in fact, one guy I've got to mention just because he was a fellow Scotsman with Hume, and he was responding to Hume quite a bit and all that skepticism is our main man, Thomas Reed, who we talk about sometimes because Thomas Reed. Uh, founded a, an epistemological response to that kind of skepticism that usually goes by the name common sense realism. Mm. And you got to like anything that just goes ahead and has common, common sense, sense in it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it's worth mentioning simply because in America, that Reed's way of thinking, that common sense realism approach... That was foundational to our... Became to, really popular. Yeah. Princeton Theological Seminary in Ohio. I mean, he yeah. was... He, right. It, it yeah. took part in writing of the Constitution. He, Wouldn't he, you agree? He, him, <laughs> I mean, Locke gets quoted more, so they don't quote... They don't They don't drop Reed's name, but... The uh, philosophy. But his, yeah. his way of thinking has a lot to do with it. And you even hear it, just common sense realism. And of course, obviously, he's a, you know, he's a reform-minded uh, Christian guy, so he's, you know... But, but now, there were others that didn't necessarily respond from a theologically informed way though on different levels so for example we get you get the movement known as existentialism i mean well you have early guys that were pre kind of whatever but in other words these people that today are wildly popular yeah today a lot of people love them some nietzsche nietzsche you know yeah and kierkegaard yeah. who who claim who, who you know again was claiming to, right from a Christian point of view, but without sort of being in a mainstream theological tradition, we would recognize yeah. maybe. But these kind of and, and the Russian Dostoevsky, who would also claim certainly to be a Christian, and he wasn't writes a... redemptive Christian themes into his novels. But it's reacting along with them also. I think the Romantics, the Romantics, the poets, in a, in a sense, and all those guys because they were well, they were science and reason they, to the dead, industrialization of unfeeling. Yeah lifeless yeah. they kill so a guy like william blake he's a christian believer and he well, well I mean, he writes christian yeah. poems <laughs> but what i'm saying is he think he's he's blaming those guys for being almost anti-christian right yeah. i mean he's he's saying um art well, is the tree on, of life and mock on mock on voltaire, voltaire Rousseau. Rousseau. and then he yeah. quotes is israel's tents on the shore and yeah. all this old testament stuff israel's um, are shining bright <laughs> right there you go see you know it i know I you love, know this yeah. stuff um well, it's just a, yeah. them, a lot of this stuff is just a rebellion against this 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 uh, method that uh, didn't start a, as a method that says, oh, you know, we're going to take over and uh, beat out Christianity. But is no. they're just sick. It's almost like we got to right now. We're sick of the power place. We're sick of all this information. Everybody coming to different conclusions. Why don't we just have our belief and you know, uh, and, and live in it whether, rather than trying to argue for and it. And it's funny you should say power plays because when you, when you come to the postmodernists, 
guys like you mentioned are Derrida, yeah. and Michel Foucault, however they say the French guy's name, but the Frenchman Foucault, who they pin people today, they love him yeah. because he, even if they don't know, even if, even if yeah. they don't know who they are, they're yeah. loving what he preached. They like a few ideas that they know came from him. Mm -hmm. And because today it's all the rage to say power is everything. Everyone's yeah. everything's power. Privilege, power, and privilege, and and speaking truth to both of those. And, and, and now <laughs> they you, want to speak truth to power, but don't. That's why don't you want to yeah. talk about what's true and how yeah. they know they what's want, true. They, they want what? to speak their feelings and experience to power. Yeah. That's what they want. But <laughs> you, you, that's where you get to the point where the guy tries to reason with people carefully and say, "But yeah. here's here's why that might yeah. be." And the, all they can hear is power, power. Yeah. You're just forcing yeah. your power on yeah. me now. That's a power play you're doing. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to like sort this out. And I'll tell you what, they, I'm just asking the average a question. That's I'm just that asking for a definition. No idea of everything that we just said. No, the they, last don't. Two sessions. they don't. They uh, don't. They're not coming to it because they say, "Listen, let me tell you about the history of reason." I would respect them the more if they at least I am, did uh, that. I don't believe in these things. And I, I've listened. Listen, I've listened to people who who were principled in this point of view. I disagreed with them, but like when I was in seminary, believe it or not, we had a guy who was a postmodernist. <laughs> he was he taught philosophy. He was the odd man out, and he was considered an oddball by the yeah. others. But they let him teach in a, in a Baptist seminary. They let him teach. Wow. And and he he loved Derrida. He had met him. He liked all those theologians like um, Merrill Westfall, you know, and those guys. He was into the postmodern kind of stuff. I listened to everything he said. He he listened to everything we said. We had good discussions. You had an exchange of I ideas. I totally respected the guy, and I walked out going, I just can't get with that. You know, I yeah. just I just don't see it. But I respected it. And when I was teaching uh, in Utah, the head of one of the departments there put on a little seminar focused on Foucault, and they did papers and all that. And I listened, and it was all fine. I disagreed with it, but it was all fine. That's not where we are right now. I would, I can live yeah, with that. Yeah. We're just now we're just with people who childishly take a sample of something. They don't read it. They don't care, and and they just want their way. That's why I keep saying that, but. I don't think this rises to the level of a respectable, a respectable, principled position. Yeah, I really, I don't. I think it's just a depraved, well, so it, it's, lazy. You can't sit there and say I, I sympathize with a person because I understand the history of epistemology. I understand the troubles, and therefore I understand the the um, the temptation to throw your hands up in the air and just say, "Who knows?" You know, well, that's not where we're at. Well, but it is. It it is as a culture we have moved there and gotten there, and that that's why you have. People that are leaders that are influential, they have that they maybe they don't consciously bring it up in their mind, but that's what we've been through. And it's like going back to these other things. They think it it hasn't, at least in their mind, it hasn't worked in the past. It's not going to work now. And I'm I'm kind of learning now in our time something I guess we should I should have known before, but it's just like it's I'm realizing it now, which is what a crippling effect this has on what the church does. Yeah. It's like it. It never occurred to me that we could get to this point, but it's like the old thing I always quote from Dallas Willard when he said one time that reason is a voice everyone hears because it's part of general revelation. Mm -hmm. And I've come to see that that's true. Um, we, the church's mission, grinds to a halt in a culture that becomes massively lobotomized and can't reason anymore. Because, or, or I'll put it this way, or the church will have to compromise the way she does what she does and will have to start using other methods to to persuade people other yeah. methods to proclaim the truth and try methods that are frankly i think illegitimate but it's like they'll all it's all they'll have left because what? no one can listen to truth being claimed 
put two and two together, you know what I mean? Well, and if you have, if you have, if you have so certain, say, let's say movements within evangelicalism that are somehow kowtowing, to, like what we talked about in yeah. the, a few weeks ago with intersectionality and critical race theory, and them adopting those principles. Um, what are they doing? It's like they, you know, what what foundation then do they have to stand? Because any time, I mean, if they're if all they're doing is listening, for example, well, how are they going to proclaim? Right. Does that least, make sense? At least beforehand, think about this. At least beforehand, don't couldn't we go over and and try to meet them on their grounds and then argue well, for we, our we, case? We we could do that a with a, we could do that with a modernist because they at least respected yeah rational a dialectic right. They re respected that sort of to be able to engage in discourse. They would at the, least do you the favor of saying. I think you're wrong, and here's why. Exactly. It's not possible to meet them on their own ground here, is it? Yeah, well, this, and then, well, I say when we say, like, say the modernist, and what I mean by that, let's say the empiricist, the strict empiricist, and what that means is they only, they limit knowledge only to that by which we can, you know, understand mm -hmm. through our senses. Um, we could at least, the common ground was reason and logic and all right. of that, but ironically, you know, ironically, imagine, imagine being invited to a debate. Okay. Yeah. And you're thinking, should I go to this debate? Now let's say that you start to ask questions. Why would I go to this? And let's say it's on, you pick the topic. I don't even care what it is. Something in something about God and the world and yeah. suffering and religious belief. Let's say you're invited. You start thinking, should I go? Well, let's say they tell you, now I got to tell you, uh, you start asking questions. You find out the person you're debating is really sharp, knows a lot, and has debated lots of people. Now, this might intimidate you. You think, yeah. boy, I don't know, I better prepare well. Okay, but now that's 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 one thing. But now let's play it a different way. Let's say you try to investigate this debate you've been invited to, and instead of me saying the person knows their stuff and has debated a lot of people and written books, now instead I say this. I say, now you need to be prepared. The person you're debating doesn't care what you think, won't really listen to you, won't read a thing you have ever written um, isn't concerned about what you claim. The person you're debating, their main tactic will be this: they're going to up, they're going to just believe that you're you are an immoral person for having your views, and they'll probably point that out. They may attribute some motives to you, like they're probably going to think you're white, so you're bad, and you're probably racist against them, and you probably hate people. Then so just be prepared yeah. for them to imply that, if not say that. Also, the person is going to um, the person is going to say that you're. Uh, that your views themselves are, they're going to mischaracterize. They don't even understand what you're saying. In other words, they won't even get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Man, I don't know about you. I'm saying no thanks to that because that's not a debate. Yeah. But that's kind of what, when you say, can we meet people on their ground, that people are walking into classrooms and into protests, mobs, and into political rallies or wherever. And that's what they're getting. They're getting that response. And when they say, can I share with you some reasons why I'm concerned about your view and why I think it's wrong? What they're, what they're hearing is people say, I don't care. Yeah. Even if you're wrong. No, wrong is a kind wrong. is just, you're, you're just point. saying that because you hate women, yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I'm saying that because I think it's actually wrong. No, that's a dog whistle. Hmm. You see, that's, that's what we're up against now. And it's like, is, what do you is, say is to it, that? Is it now? Then is it we're up against it? Is is the goal? I mean, obviously, the goal still is to we're, we're trying to introduce Christ to him, and we're trying to have an objective Christ, an objective God, who objective sin, and so on. 
Um, and I know that this we, we started this because of the political stuff going on, but isn't it the same to where the only real way to start to gain ground with them is like, like so many others to show them that this is this is not a life that can be lived, that you're not actually living this way, and that within these certain parameters, for some reason, you live a completely inconsistent mm-hmm. life. And, and somehow gently show, I know that's an argument in and of itself, but, you know, I'm sure that these people aren't like this in every single well, area. No, I mean, do they hope the bus stops at the red light when they're <laughs> right, walking across the crosswalk? I mean, yeah. are they objectivists? It, they, it's clear that and, and you this say, why is, didn't you, why it's didn't untenable. You stop? And they'll, they'll give you a reason because I'll get hit. Well, or because, well, it wasn't green. To, it wasn't red to me. Yeah. My truth <laughs> yeah. is it was a yeah. green light. No, I mean, that's untenable. We all know that's untenable. They know it's untenable. Um, and so the point is, is try to figure out a way to um, to express that in a kind and gracious and meek manner. That's that's always the challenge because it, especially with this, because this is exceptionally uh, foolish it well, is an I, exceptionally I, foolish so to, to maintain grace and kindness it, it can be frustrating i remember one author, i'll be honest one hey uh, you I, and me both i read about this was like it will it can't last just wait you know i mean <laughs> yeah it, that's kind it of the way to go about it because there's no way to meet them on their own ground there's no real way to argue without arguing yeah. and then in the end he's just like this will die on its own. It'd it's be got nice, to. but unfortunately, it, it, it doesn't seem like it in is. In the meantime, though, you, you got to fear for the leadership and the the future the of the nation as well, and the, the church too. Because if it's in the ch- if it gets in the church, and Christians start thinking this way, then what what's going to hold them? Like you said earlier, what if people arrive at some good positions, but they don't know how they got there, and they got there in weird ways? Then I have no faith they'll still have those positions. They might, but it'd just be luck. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's just yeah. like it's like a folk theology kind yeah. of like they have it. They may by just by chance have happened upon it. And just it's an right, emotional but commitment to something that you don't that have. There's any no, there's no, for. you know, the heart, you know, reject or won't accept what the mind rejects. At the yeah. end of the day, if if you're challenged on that, and it's not all cohesive. So, the you know. well, there is a certain sense of trust that I have in humanity because. Even though people talk this way a lot, of, like I said before, they don't always act consistent. I'd, I'd right. be scared if everybody acted consistent with this. I'd be Me scared too. if everybody was just kind of this this back to the Joker Joker yep. brand of nihilism. That's right. But That's right. On. only a few people do, and often they've mentally they've got problems mentally that don't allow them to function like most normal people. But look, how good is it? How good is it though to? At least in these two sessions, I mean, we've only got an hour, but in this hour, I think you you have been able to get gain some ground in understanding the history, understanding, because I think some people get in there and they'll be like scratching their head. Are they right? You know, am I, am I doing a power play and am I manipulative right. and so on? And then you can at least start and try to say, okay, I need to, I need to get my own roadmap down, my own epistemology. I need to be able to define it, even if I'm not going to tell other people and say, look, what's your epistemology and kind of steamroll in that way. But at least in your own mind, you can gain confidence because in this world where everybody else is going this direction, you do get, you, you do have self doubt. You do wonder whether or not people are right and you're wrong. And so, uh, you know, epistemology is just that first step. It's the first step to, to making it to where we're trying to get. People are, I think, people are made in God's image, and reason is a basic form of, 
uh, revelation to people. So we shouldn't be too pessimistic. And basically, you know, common sense is the most basic form of philosophy. It's where it's it's the philosophy everybody does, yeah. right? It's, it's we call it common sense, but it's just it's just basic thinking that yeah. rational creatures do. And and so I think uh, there are like kind of like Carrie said. We know kind of what needs to be done in terms of just making the dialogue happen, but but now the, our challenge might be the how to because because um, in some ways we're back to those things we always talk about with apologetics, like how do you where I, maybe 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 in the case of of a of a small mob that you're up against, maybe I'll just leave them with a few questions that they'll have to think about later. And let it go, let it ride, and or rely, be like Jesus you know? and sneak away, <laughs> get away yeah. from them. I mean, One way or we, the other. We do need to exercise wisdom for sure in that respect. Theology unplugged.